My name is Angela. My name is Nicole. And welcome to the Ominous Stitch Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another amazing episode of the Ominous Stitch Podcast. Yay! Yay! We're here again. Uh, yeah, my We're voice. here again. <laughs> <laughs> We're here. It's still us. Yay! No, I know. My voice it might sound a little different. I'm getting over a cold, but it's okay. Womp, womp, womp. Yeah. Colds happen. They do. Thanks, Especially when kids. you have kids. Yeah. <laughs> they bring all sorts of fun things Definitely to you. got it from my son. You know, last couple weeks of school, so of course they're going to bring home all kinds of little yep. sickies yep. and stuff. That's know. okay. You're, yeah. you're getting over it. I'm getting over it, yeah. I'm a lot better. Coffee helps. Medicine hey. helps. <laughs> I might be in a weird headspace <laughs> today. It'll be fun. <laughs> Mixture of others. Yeah. So, hey, Nicole. Hey. Speaking of kids, what has you in stitches today? Hey, I got another proud mama moment. Yay, proud mama. I'm sure if, if you follow me on anything, you know this, but both my kids... Yeah, won their reading awards at Yay! school. Yeah, so my little one won his class as as first place of reading, and then my oldest won first place in his class, and the entire third through fifth grade. Yay! This little kid's a reader, guys. Like he just that's all he likes to do. That is so, proud. so awesome. Yeah. Yay! So, hey, I'm so happy. Good and mama. you know, and then I reward them with books. And yeah, like, that's what we them. do too. We we love to give them books, and they love getting books, and so yeah. it's so nice. Yeah, like that's uh, I love that we do that instead of toys, because inevitably they'll get a toy and they'll like it for about a five day. minutes, and then yeah. it breaks. <laughs> it breaks, or the dog eats it, or, or you know really something, it. or it just there's nowhere to put it. Oh, We're kind of running you. out of space with books. When we moved, we had to donate so many books. To the library, which mm. is nice because our library system here, they take any gently used books oh, and good. they will resell them. They have a little store and they resell them for you and anything they sell in their store at a very discounted price, obviously, because they're taking donated books. Right. But it goes back into replenishing their stock. And, Yay. and yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, so it's nice. It's a nice little program. I just, yeah, I'd rather get books than toys, too, because they can reread these books over and over again. And they do versus like you said toys that break they're yeah. just like cheap yeah or, like we have a toy sitting in our floor that they bought like two days ago from the scholastic book fair uh-huh and they haven't touched it again yeah nice mm. and do you see dollar signs when that happens because yeah. i definitely do i'm like that toy was 20 bucks yeah and it yeah. is just sitting and there. now that 20 dollars <laughs> is poof gone yeah it yeah. was 20 dollars for five minutes and now it's junk <laughs> yay <For five> <laughs> That's how toy companies get you. Yeah, it is. And you don't need that many toys. I've learned so many over, like over the years. Like the kids love it, the the brand new shiny thing. But you don't need much. Yeah. They actually play better when there's less toys, right? And they use their imagination more. Exactly. I blame YouTube. I I'm such like this is such a parent thing to do. I blame media. <laughs> I blame, oh, no, you no, but like YouTube with all the unboxing videos where your kids yes, into those. Yeah. Cause they just bit. want to unbox and then pretend they're YouTubing while they unbox, oh. you know, they're like, and it's a surprise let's see element. what's in here. Yeah. And Oh, it's a surprise. And so sure. they, they get high off of high. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they get, get that, that endorphin, endorphin rush, rush yeah. right after they open up the box and, and then they're done. Yeah. Then it's and over. Like, oh, and I, I like, don't need it anymore. 
I, what do I do with this? That's little my oldest toy? man. My oldest says that, but yeah. yeah. But anyway, we're off topic again. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> it's not topic. <laughs> but my kids, I'm so proud of them. So Yay. I just want to keep them. There's a summer program at the library that uh-huh. I'm gonna they do keep with the AR program. Yes. Yeah. So I'm gonna get them because there's incentives. You can win mm-hmm. things, and I want to keep them going. So yeah. So That's good. Yeah. My little boys, my little readers. About you, Angela. What's got you in stitches? What's got me in stitches? <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll we'll stay in the kid vein here. Okay. Okay, so this is kind of like if you're a parent, this may have happened to you. I'm sure a lot of you guys can relate to this. Most of the time when I'm going out my day to day, I, you know, am like jeans and a t-shirt and no makeup, very natural faced cuz you know, I'm at my house and I'm you look doing great garden stuff. So- you don't oh, have anything on. Oh my on. gosh. <laughs> Thank you, Nicole. But like, it's not something, you know, I, I get dressed up when I'm going out or going on stage, but it's not some, it's not an everyday thing for me. So my kids aren't used to seeing me when I have makeup on or my hair is done or whatever, you know, I'm right. dressed up. So the hubs and I go out on a date. Yay. Yay. Date night. Date night, which is, you know, a rarity, but it's awesome when it happens. And so Nicole helped me pick out my outfit because I was like, I don't know what I should (laughs) wear. And she's like, you need these. And they were like leather leggings. And I was like, "Ah, I can't wear those. And you're like, yes, you can. You can. They're comfortable. They were so comfortable. They were awesome. One thing, though, is that we went to a movie and the seats were leather. And I I couldn't. I couldn't sled around. It was funny. No, it was it was fine. It was fine. But um, it was very it was a very comfortable outfit. It looked very put together. I had high heels on, mm-hmm. and I had leather pants, and I had like this like really nice little white top on, and um, I had my makeup done. I had my hair did. I had my nails going. Like you everything. Didn't get a photo. I did every- oh, No, I didn't take a photo because uh, I was in a rush to get I it get all it, done. I get so, it. You know, I didn't take a photo, okay. but. I walk out of my bathroom after getting all dolled up and being like, yeah, look at me. I know this person. I used to look like this like all of the time (laughs) in my 20s. This is my normal. Before kids, when I worked, like I, you know, would dress and do my hair and makeup and, you know, yep, whatever. But not so much anymore. But so when I walked out, I was feeling confident. My kids immediately were like, What's wrong with your pants? Why are they so shiny? <laughs> Who are why do you? you have red lips? Why is your why do you have makeup on, mom? What are you doing? <laughs> they You're always not my mom. knock me down yep. when I try to look good. I remember when I turned 40, I had pictures done. My husband set up this like photo shoot with my mom and my sisters and we had this like professional photo shoot done where they did our hair and makeup and it was like a spa thing they gave us champagne and chocolates it was wonderful it was a whole day Mm -hmm. of getting pampered and then getting our pictures done and I had professional makeup and professional hair so I had like false eyelashes I was like I've never looked this good in my entire life and I come home and my son immediately starts crying. He's like, get that off your face. I'm not talking to you till you get that off your face. And he's yelling at me. And my kids are like, I don't like it when your face is all white, mom. You look like a clown. And I'm like, oh, no. So it's like you're, you're there feeling so good about yourself. And then they just come and knock you down. Knock you down. Oh, kids. 
but yeah it's i don't know but it's that fun. just shows you how much they love you how you are That's yeah sweet, they're like Sweeten my natural away. look and no it's better that way than it used to be when i would go places and not wear makeup people were like oh you look so tired are you okay <laughs> I, I hate that cliche so much you look so tired yeah I am tired. Thanks. Yeah. Like, yeah. I I'm didn't put too. makeup on today. <laughs> yeah. I have kids. The no makeup thing started when the kid thing started. So yes. <laughs> yeah. But then what happens if you do get in like eight hour night of sleep and you actually feel refreshed? People still say you look tired if you don't wear your makeup. So it's like, this is like never win. I hate that. You're damned if you do. You're damned if you don't. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. If your mom. Oh, yeah. if you guys have experiences like that, let us know because... <laughs> Uh, we feel you we're all in the same boat we've all yeah, had yeah. that experience everybody oh i love it okay so i, I guess it's time to get into this week's episode Yay. it is the last of our trilogy and Ooh. so we have another wonderful amigurumi from miss nicole hey, it's me and then you guys have to put up with my cold stricken voice oh, for <laughs> you're gonna be great you sound wonderful one more one more days of one more episode one more days <laughs> one more days of 20 days no one more episode of 28 days haunted Ooh. and i saved the best for last you guys <laughs> did you know <laughs> if you've if you've seen this then you know why we're, we're oh, laughing about it so fun okay but before we dive into that let's get stitching yes my brain thinking I could try to do pull off an Angela where like oh I can find a stitch and demonstrate no yeah you can no, yes, that's you not can. my thing you know but that's not my thing so I ended up this weekend I was like what can I make that is time efficient uh-huh and I can pump them out if I wanted to and boy did you pump them out <laughs> she was sending me pictures she's like oh my gosh look how cute and I was like those are so stinking cute there you go <laughs> and so, she made 80 of them <laughs> <laughs> I wish I wish I had that time no I only made a few but it does only take if you are just going non-stop it takes about 25 to 30 minutes that is awesome yeah, yeah. so this is uh, a free pattern and it's called the octobuddy octobuddy it's so cute it kind of looks like the ghosties we were making yeah right? but um it's supposed to be an octopus so you can you can do either way if you just do all white it's a ghost yeah <laughs> <laughs> ghost or octopus ghost, ghost octopus but yeah so it's ghostopus. a ghostopus <laughs> but yeah this is called the octobuddy because they think that it's it's really squishy so you can kind of it's like a stress reliever so yeah they're so cute yeah. i love the yarn that you chose to make these the with because she used like a nice thick chunky did a really yarn. chunky one yeah because i didn't know what to do with it. i bought this yarn a long time ago on sale at michael's and i was like i, I i'm gonna use it for something mm -hmm. i'm gonna use it for a different octopus but then i saw this one so hey there you go but it's on youtube and it's also she's got the free written pattern and it's sweetsofties.com sweet softies and it's for the smaller octo buddy she has two sizes there's a small one and a big one Aww. but the big one you gotta pay for it oh yeah i think i could you know if you're really you good can at crocheting you'd be like it's yeah just, it's more rounds exactly yeah just increase the rounds increase the size a little yeah. bit and then go down yeah we can i think figure you it out do it. 
But um, but the free pattern is, like I said, it's the free written patterns on SweetSofties.com. There's a YouTube video if you want to watch her do it. It's pretty easy. Um, like I said, I pumped it out in 25 minutes or so, and they're adorable. And also, our one of our patrons is getting it on her way right now. So hey! by the time this releases, yeah, she'll probably get it. Enjoy so. it, Brittany. We want to see the post on Instagram. Yeah. We love it when you do that. We're like, ah! We get so excited. <laughs> She's behind. That's okay. I get you. I feel you. Your oh, mom. <laughs> who isn't behind? <laughs> we're we're so behind in life. Okay, but yeah. So it's super easy. There's no sewing involved whatsoever. I love that. Yes, that's the best kind of amigurumi. It is the best uh, because I'm terrible at that part. Super super easy, and it even says familiar beginner. You do need some safety eyes. You can put a smile. You don't have to. I made one with a smile, but um, most of them don't. So there you go, Octo Buddy, and I'll put the link on our website. Yeah. So so super cute. cute. Yeah. They're super cute. Super easy. Super cute. Yay! There so you if you just need that quick little gift, you're like, oh no, I yeah. forgot it's so and so's birthday. Ah, <laughs> yeah, here, here we go. go. You can make a bunch of them. Yeah. yeah. We'll have a little party of them. So yeah, I used a really thick yarn. I think my my crochet hook, I actually, which I don't usually do anymore. Uh huh. It was like a six point five. Oh, I that's know. giant that's, for you. That's She's huge. used to like the four. Yes, <laughs> I am four and lower now. So that was my. It was like kind of weird doing it, but you get used to it. So that was fun. Yay! Yeah. It's super cute. Thanks. I love it. Yeah, I love it. So. That's it for, for crochet time. <gasps> Is it story time? It's story time. Let's get 28 Days Haunted, y'all. Did my uh, little southernness <laughs> show up there when I said y'all? Y'all. I never say that anymore. So I'm, well, okay. There are a couple of instances where I do say y'all. You slip into the Southern. <laughs> yes. It used to happen before kids. We'll say before kids. And, you know, because. if I had a cocktail or two, ah. it would kind of slip out a little bit. You rub off on me sometimes. Yeah. You say y'all more than I do <laughs> I now. Do. It's I so love funny. It. It's so cute. Oh, uh, y'all. Y'all. Okay. But we're going, where are we going? We're going to though? North Carolina. Okay, so, so that fits, a right? Yeah. A little Southern. So we are going to Madison Dry Goods. We are finishing up our 28 Days Haunted with this mess. <laughs> <laughs> mess. Oh, my gosh. Uh, spoiler alert. This story this kind of wrecked the whole thing that for me. That was insane. Yeah, me too. I Yeah. So we'll get into a lot of that. This might yeah. be a rare occasion where story time is actually shorter than movie time That's talk. That's fine, yeah. Because for the simple fact that there really isn't much Which I found history. fascinating. Right? Because I thought there would be way more. Right. Yeah. Well, okay. Let's get into it. Okay. Okay. So literally my first line in my notes is, let me start off by saying that I didn't find much history about <laughs> Madison Dry Goods. No. <laughs> in its history, it has been a hotel, hardware store, and funeral home, as well as a variety no. of other businesses. It's been a funeral home. Been a lot of things. Well, yes. Okay. That's why it's tied into what it's tied Got into. Got it. Okay. You guys know. You've seen that. You've seen the show by now, so you know where where we're heading with this. But we'll get into that. Yes. But it has been Madison Dry Goods for almost thirty years now. That's so it has good. been this store for almost thirty years now. Okay. And I pulled this next from an article on Greensboro.com. It's Rockingham Now News. Mm. 
And so this is from a Rockingham Now news article. Madison, built in 1908, one of this 2200 resident Hamlet's most storied historical buildings. Small town, Mm -hmm. 2200 people. That's so tiny. I think I had more people at my high school. (laughs) (laughs) We had about a thousand kids a a class. Wow. Yeah, I had a big big high school. school. It was a big high school. But wow, it's a small, small little town in mm-hmm. North Carolina, home to Madison Dry Goods and Country Store for the past nearly 30 years. The building at 104 West Murphy Street in the heart of downtown has been home to a variety of businesses over the decades. And the structure is attached to one of the most gruesome mass murders in North Carolina history, the 1929 Lawson family murders. In 1929, the upstairs of the building housed T.B. Knight Funeral Parlor, where the victims, including a newborn, were embalmed. Lawson's six children, including baby Mary Lou, his wife Fanny, and Lawson himself, were all embalmed in the second floor T.B. Knight Funeral Parlor, even though the parlor was some 20 miles away from Germantown, where the Lawsons were murdered it was still chosen to embalm the victims there since it was large enough to accommodate all eight bodies Ugh. and had an elevator. No. Did right? none of the buildings have elevators? I guess not that were close enough to accommodate this. Interesting. So that's why they were trucked 20 miles to this funeral parlor and then, you know, back to <laughs> Germantown after that to right. be laid to rest. Proprietors of Madison Dry Goods, Richard and Kathy Miller, bought the building in 1998. And while they were aware of the building's history, which included housing the former Penn Hardware store, the Millers were not prepared for the stories of the unexplainable activity that have garnered the attention of national paranormal investigators over the past decade. Numerous visitors to the store, as well as employees, have reported seeing a little girl wearing a white dress in the building. And pictures and objects have been moved about inexplicably, the Millers said. Add to that, the Millers and some visitors to the upstairs museum where the funeral home once operated have described being overcome with an eerie feeling as if they are not alone. You are not alone. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Uh, I haven't sung in a while. You haven't. Good job. Although it is unclear if the murder is related to the supernatural sightings in the building, people passing by have often talked about seeing a ghostly young girl at the first floor window. Besides, the girl has been spotted sitting on a chair by herself, and people who have been inside of the building speak of a chilliness that comes and goes by itself. Moreover, the present owners of the building claimed that they often had people who would feel uneasy when walking down the corridors and venturing upstairs was a complete no-no wow. for many. No-no. Like, nope. <laughs> Not doing like, it. Nope. Not going to do it. <laughs> that is a callback to the past. If anybody knows what that is. No. What? I bet Kate does. Hi, Kate. Not going to do it. Not going to do it. That's from like junior high days for me. You were like little. You don't yeah, know. Yeah, tiny. Do you know? I think so. Isn't w- it? It's not a president, is it? Well, sort of. Okay. Yes. It's Dana Carvey mocking yes. uh, George Bush. Okay. Yes. Not going to do it. Yeah, 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 yeah SNL. Yeah, yeah. Got it. Got All right. It. I, I gave it away. I, like, you guys president. Know. I know. Yeah. <laughs> 
Okay. Locals and various Ghostbusters who have investigated the site and the odd sighting speculate that the unexplained activities are connected to the Lawson family deaths. Word of the bizarre happenings reached Netflix producers and in 2021, a production team contacted the Millers and invited them to participate in the show. (laughs) I love this because the idea is like, we're inviting you to participate in our show where you have to completely shut down your business for an yeah. entire month. Yeah. <laughs> they must have been paid handsomely, though, you think? I hope so. I bet they did. And it did kind of turn to their favor because True. True. lots of people want to yeah, come investigate it course. now. So, now yeah. You got people shopping around. So, and, yeah, it's yeah. good. Madison Dry Goods owners Richard and Kathy Miller have staged the rooms of the former funeral parlor as they might have looked in 1929 when the Lawson family members were embalmed. Their second floor museum is open to the public and features many mementos of the era, including information and photos chronicling the ghastly crime. And that article was written by Susie C. Spear on Rocking Him Now. What was all that? I don't remember very well because this has been a while. Mm hmm. Was all the old stuff in there when they were doing the 28 Days Haunted? So, I don't know. Because <laughs> that would give <laughs> that everything away. That is a away. good question. <laughs> how much of it they left in there and, sure. how, and if they took anything away. Yeah. Because we're going to talk about everything that is in there right. and how they okay. accumulated it. But, but like, before we talk about that, we're going to talk about the murder itself. So, we have oh, a background perfect. information we need that. about that. Yeah. Okay. This is from Wikipedia, (laughs) Wikipedia (laughs) wikipedia.org, in case you guys don't know how to find Wikipedia. (laughs) This is the murder of the Lawson family. So the murder of the Lawson family refers to a familicide, which I think is an interesting word. I've never heard that before. Because it's a homicide of a whole family. Yeah. So the Velisca's were, the Velisca axe murder was a familicide with well, two other kids but as a familicide is it but does that mean it has to be acted upon by, by a, family a family member, member. Oh, okay i think so then, then, then never mind never yeah. mind never I take mind it back. uh which took place in germantown north carolina united states on december 25th merry christmas y'all mm-hmm. Isn't that crazy? Christmas. Christmas. Like Christmas. I don't know. Time it's supposed to be. Oh. It's the most wonderful time <laughs> of the year. Okay. When you get married, murdered. When you get murdered. <laughs> when you get married. <laughs> it's not the same thing. Oh, man. Married and murdered. Oh, uh, goodness Some me. people think it is. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, where do I go from there? <laughs> Sorry. I threw you off. okay back to murder Murder. okay so on christmas 1929 in which sharecropper charles davis or charlie lawson murdered his wife and six of his seven children six of seven he sent his oldest son away to go run an errand when he did this i don't know why nobody knows why this sounds familiar isn't this there i feel like there's another murder just like this let me tell you We'll get into that okay, in a okay, little okay. bit. So here's a little background on the whole thing. Okay. In 1911, Charles Lawson married Fanny Manring, who, with whom he had eight children. The third, William, born in 1914, died of an illness in 1920. Aww. In 1918, following the, the move of his younger brothers, Marion and Elijah, to Germantown area, Lawson followed suit with his family. The Lawsons worked as tenant tobacco farmers, saving enough money by 1927 to buy their own farm on Brook Cove Road. Mm. 
1929, days prior to Christmas, Lawson, age 43, took Fanny, his wife, age 37, and their seven children, Arthur, age 19, Marie, age 17, Carrie, age 12, Mabel, which I love Mabel, age 7, James, age 4, Raymond, age 2, and Mary Lou, age 4 months, into town to buy new clothes and to have a family portrait taken. Oh, what? Days prior to Christmas, they go have a big family portrait taken. something wrong in my brain. Oh, goodness. This would have been an unusual occurrence for a working-class rural family of the era, which has led to speculations that Lawson's act was premeditated. Posthumously, it was speculated that he had impregnated his eldest daughter, Marie, who was 17, Mm -hmm. which they kind of talk about Marie being pregnant on the show, so we know they discovered that. I'm using air quotes, (laughs) yes. Air quotes. Lawson, having purchased his own farm two years previous, however, together with the fact that an associated press wire that went out on the day after the murder characterized Lawson as a well-to-do farmer, would make a pre-Christmas shopping spree appear reasonable. So, out of character, but he was more on the well-to-do side, so maybe not. I don't know. So, it's, you know, a Mm. little wiggle room for argument as to whether it's premeditated or whether it was like he was well to do he could afford to do this and he's trying to do something like nice for his family brain cracked at some point well this just obviously it had to yeah. right so something right something triggered yeah okay on the afternoon of december 25th lawson first shot his daughters carrie and mabel as they were setting out to their uncle and aunt's house he shot them as they were leaving how cowardly is that's that that's very like the my uh john list where he brought them home and then shot them behind mm-hmm. it feels like let's see if he made a sandwich too uh. <laughs> he waited for them by the tobacco barn until they were in range shot them with a 12 gauge shotgun then ensured that they were dead by bludgeoning them no he placed their bodies in the tobacco barn <sighs> afterward lawson returned to the house and shot fanny who was on the porch As soon as the gun was fired, Marie, who was inside, screamed while the two small boys, James and Raymond, attempted to find a hiding place. Lawson shot Marie and then found and killed the two boys. Lastly, he killed the baby, Mary Lou. It is thought that she was bludgeoned to death. I know. Gross. After the murders, he went into the nearby woods and several hours later shot himself. The only survivor was his eldest son, 19-year-old Arthur, whom he had sent on an errand just before committing the crime. So why would he spare his son? To pass on the family name, I'm guessing? I don't know. Like I said, this... Okay, I won't keep going. I know. Well, we won't know what he was thinking because, you know, he committed suicide as well. So um, it's just... A horrific, horrific baby. thing. Baby, baby's so innocent. Oh, yeah, I, I don't, so I don't like that part. I don't either. The bodies of the family members were found with their arms crossed and rocks under their heads. The gunshot signaling Lawson's own suicide was heard by the many people who already had learned of the murders of the property and gathered there. So they heard him. Isn't that crazy? Because it took so long for him to shoot himself. Yeah, because he did it hours after. Yeah. And so people had already showed up, 
So I don't know if it was like a panic, like, oh, no, what have I done? And they're going to find me. Yeah, and I, I have I no idea. No, who knows who what's knows? going through his brain? Uh, <laughs> not much anymore mm. since he shot it. <laughs> Boom. Oh, my gosh. Oh, that was a terrible joke. Okay. <laughs> um, a police officer who was with Arthur ran down to discover Lawson's body along with letters to his parents. As footprints encircled the tree, it was supposed that he had been pacing around the tree prior to taking his life. Mm -hmm. So we have some theories on the motive. Okay. So Charlie's head injury is one theory. Months no. before the event, Lawson had sustained a head injury. Some family and friends theorized that it had altered his mental state and was related to the massacre. However, an autopsy and analysis of his brain at Johns Hopkins Hospital found no abnormalities. Oh, you can't blame the head injury then. Right? I was going to say, if that would make a lot of sense, because we've seen that, we've, we've read a lot about that, right? Where the, those head injuries, a lot of serial killers have had. Yeah, they've had head injuries, and it kind of rewires their yes. brain, and they, they lose the empathetic. Yes, yeah. and they become more violent. Remember Nanny? Yes. Yeah. Oh. So, yeah, that would make sense, but if they didn't find anything, then yeah, what the heck? Right. Uh, here's another theory. Marie's rumored pregnancy by Charlie. It was not until the book White Christmas, Bloody Christmas was published in 1990 that a claim of Charlie's sexually abusing Marie surfaced, beginning with an anonymous source who had heard a rumor during a tour of the Lawson home shortly after the murders. The day before the book was to be published, the author received a phone call from Stella Lawson, a relative who had already been interviewed for the book. Stella said that she had overheard Fanny's sister-in-law and aunts, including Stella's mother, Jetty Lawson, discussing how Fanny had conf confided in them that she had been concerned about an incestuous relationship between hmm. Charlie and Marie. Jetty died in early 1928, meaning Fanny had been suspicious of the incest at least that long before the murders in late 1929. Hmm. More support for this theory was revealed in The Meaning of Our Tears, published by the same author in 2006. A close friend of Marie Lawson's, Ella May, came forward and disclosed that a few weeks before Christmas 1929, Marie confided in her that she was pregnant by her own father and that both he and Fanny knew about this. Many people thought that this is what also led to him massacring his family because he didn't want the secret to get out. Another close friend and neighbor to the Lawson family, Hill Hampton, stated that he knew of serious problems going on within the family, but declined to elaborate. Okay. That doesn't make any sense. One, he sent his son, his oldest son, out. Yeah. So... If the family knew and he was trying to cover it up, he would have been one to be murdered because he's 19 years old. A baby doesn't know anything. Yeah. So why would why wouldn't he kill everybody? That doesn't make any sense. I yeah. The I'm sure maybe that there was that happened. It could have been, but that doesn't have. I feel like that's not the motive to go insane and kill everybody except his oldest son. Premeditation doesn't make sense because he did leave purposefully leave a survivor yeah he sent his son out yeah so i'm think but he waited for his two small girls the two small girls Baby he girls. waited for them 
to to start to leave before he did anything to them. So like he was waiting to kill them. So there was so you're saying there was premeditation, but it, when but why it doesn't make <laughs> it doesn't any make sense. sense and if there was an incestuous relationship it would have made sense i think to kill the daughter and but like the little kids don't know anything they don't know anything about that yeah so what's the point like <sighs> you know there's there's some ideas that maybe the devil got into him like yes which <laughs> definitely comes up in the 28 days haunted yes. as a theory that the devil got into him and that um Maybe he was trying to protect the younger girls in a very sick way from him doing that to them. Or maybe he was already doing that to them. Ugh, I don't even want to think I of that. I don't know. Gross. So, you know. I guess it does. Yeah, there is that ring of like some kind of insanity just took over him at one point and just decided to kill them all. Yeah. We don't but know what snapped. Yeah. We don't know what was in the letters he wrote to his parents. Oh, yeah. I forgot yeah. about that. There were letters, but no yeah. one knows. So, Does well, I don't, I didn't find any information about that. So I don't know. I mean, if that you guys are, if you guys anything. are better sleuths than me, you probably <laughs> are. <laughs> but, you know, if you guys know any information about that, we would like to know. But Chime, chime up, please. Yeah. Chime yeah. So we don't really know. We won't ever really know. Um, but we do know that it was an insane tragedy and it totally rocked the whole state, if not more. However, because this was a huge national event. It hit national news. I feel like there was this happened to some family before, too, where he sent the son out and he killed the whole family. I don't know, but I'm going to talk about I'm going to talk about where you might have heard this okay. if it was this story, okay. because it has been written about. A numerous amount of a times, lot. Right? Movies have been made. Yeah, this this is a like huge national story. Gotta be another. Maybe it was, but I just didn't think it was in North Carolina. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Okay. So here's the aftermath. Shortly after the murders, Charlie's brother Marion Lawson opened the home on Brook Cove Road as a tourist attraction. Oh, weird. Gross, right? Yeah. A cake that Marie had baked on Christmas Day was displayed on the tour. He charged 25 cents no, a person you, to come see this. Gross. Making money off of a family tragedy. That is, uh, takes a certain kind of person to do that, right? Seriously. Because visitors began to pick at the raisins on the cake to take as souvenirs, it was placed in a covered glass cake server for many years. <laughs> That's so gross. <laughs> Yuck. <laughs> it's so gross. Heck? Oh, I love that detail. It's so gross. Yeah. Okay. The event inspired a number of songs and other tributes, including the murder ballad, The Murder of the Lawson Family, which was originally recorded by the Carolina Buddies for Columbia Records in 1930 and covered by Stanley Brothers in March of 1956. The case was also featured in an episode of the PRX podcast Criminal. Mm. The Lawsons were laid to rest in a private family graveyard. Arthur Lawson was killed in a 1945 motor accident at the age of 31, Oof. leaving a wife and four children. That is heartbreaking. That's sad. It's so sad. Wait, what year? What year when? That he died? He died in 1945 in a motor accident. Okay. Arthur died at the age of 31. He had four kids and a wife. I was just, I'm trying to think of like how car accidents back then, I guess, because it was, they're so brand new, but 1950s makes more sense. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So 
there have been many books written about this. There right. have been movies made about this. There, this was huge. Um, 5,000 people, and I think I might say this later, uh, but 5,000 people showed up to watch the the hearses take the bodies from Madison Dry Goods, which was the funeral parlor at the time, mm-hmm. back to Germantown for the funeral. That's crazy. 5,000 5, people. Wasn't the town only 22? Yes. <laughs> and at this time, it wasn't even 22. That's insane. Right? This was such big news. And I'm telling you, like, it's been national news there have been books written i mentioned too Mm -hmm. there have been movies made um i will try to get a list together to put in our notes i don't think i included them in these notes but i I saw a bunch of them written down it's it's been covered a lot there is i actually wrote this in my notes there's so much research and information about the lawson family murders that it's mind-boggling they do link to Madison Dry Goods, but there's not a lot in the history of Madison Dry Goods. So That's they, so weird. Right? So this is the biggest thing that happened to Madison Dry Goods yeah. and why it's on the map. Got it. And so the owners made the museum mm-hmm. so that they could keep that history alive, right? Sure. It's a morbid history, but sure. It's a morbid history. So this is from um, atlasobscura.com. I love that website. Isn't it fun? Yes. So this is an article from that about Madison Dry Goods. Okay. And I have pictures. So you can see some of the stuff that is in the um, museum that they have. Now, but again, we don't know what was at the (laughs) 28 Well, this was in the museum prior to 28 days going there. I don't know if they removed any items from the museum. Sure. But this is some of the things that are there. Okay. Today, the second floor of Madison Dry Goods and Country Store has been converted into a museum that traces the history of the building and town. The museum also delves into the Lawson murders and the building's history as a funeral parlor. The museum features an account of the murders, funeral parlor equipment from the 1920s, newspaper clippings, and other artifacts related to the case. Prior to the building becoming a country store, it spent many years as a hotel, which the museum also delves into. And you can see we have Stokes Farmer kills wife, six children, and himself. We have the news article there, the picture of the family. We know they saw the picture of the family because um, they showed that yeah. on the thing. Yeah, they had I the pe- don't yeah. know if they showed this news article, but they definitely showed the picture of the family. Well, they wouldn't have, hopefully. Right. And then, you know, here's the casket with a bunch of fans. Here's another news article. <laughs> yeah, the caskets, <laughs> right? We'll get to that. Here's some more of the news article. Uh, I got that from strangecarolinas.com, um, where they do a whole uh, thing about the museum there. Okay. It really shouldn't surprise anyone that there was a small museum shrine devoted to the murders in Madison, North Carolina. While the upstairs museum at Madison Dry Goods doesn't hold much in terms of artifacts, you can see photos of the family, a photo of Lawson in his casket. What? Gross, right? A photo of, of him? Lawson in his casket. I don't want to see him. <laughs> I know. Gross. A photo of the hearses and two na- newspaper clippings. It is the museum's location that makes it notable as to why, as, as it was the site of the embalming. Right, right, right. We dropped by Madison Dry Goods and owner Richard Miller showed us around the old funeral home and pointed out the embalming room, the chapel, and the viewing rooms. He also told us how he acquired some of the items in the museum. And so we're going to do a little little interview with him. We're going to go back and forth. This is Richard Miller talking here. 
I had heard about the Charlie Lawson tragedy years ago because I lived in Stokes County. When I came here, I didn't realize there was actually a funeral home upstairs on the second floor, TB Knight Funeral Home. They were the embalmers and funeral directors, so they provided a direct link to Charlie Lawson. In fact, when I first got here, a person brought me a picture with the bodies out in front of the elevator rolled up. Ugh. Gross, right? I didn't know the significance, so I wish I had the picture today for my display because there was an interest in it because they were embalmed here. People like this one gentleman who's deceased now would say, you've got to have this newspaper. There's not many Winston-Salem journals out there, and he's referring to the newspaper article that we have a picture of, and we'll show it to you guys, of the Winston-Salem journal, and, and it says Stokes Farmer kills wife, six children, and himself. So that's note to make sure that goes on the, the article. <laughs> Someone gave us the portable embalming table. It's not from Charlie Lawson, but it's from that era. It folds up like huh. a suitcase. <laughs> hey! <laughs> good to know. That's handy. Right? I need that when we travel. Right? Embalming Someone <laughs> is like, man, I brought the embalming table, <laughs> oh. not my clothes. Wrong suitcase. <laughs> Someone gave us the pictures of him in the casket and the hearse. Because the building was so old and was once a funeral home, I asked him if there were any ghosts. And he says, yes, a little girl. I've never seen her, but four people have seen her. One was a man. I was in here years ago, and apparently she was looking out the window because the man wanted to know if my daughter was in here working with me. There's been three kids. One kid about three years ago grabbed his dad's arm and said, I'm not going up there. There's a little girl standing there. Oh, my gosh. I've had a couple of kids who won't go down the hallway. The museum is free and is open daily. But if Mr. Miller is there and has a minute, ask him about the murders and have him show you around the place. Maybe you'll even see the ghost of the little girl. Oh, that poor little girl, though. That means she's stuck. Yeah. They're Messed up, They're man. stuck. They're stuck. Terrible uh, situation. Yes. And then this is a tiny little snippet from the cinemaholic.com. Hey. I found this article and I was like all excited, but no. it was like clickbait. So oh. it wasn't that good. But I did wah, get wah, grab wah. a grab a little snippet of it. Okay. Apart from the museum remaining open on all days, the store has recently been swamped by requests from paranormal hunters and investigators for an sure. opportunity to spend a day or two inside the building. The owner, Richard Miller, is quite excited about the newfound <laughs> fame and divulged that he is equally enthusiastic about the discoveries paranormal investigators might make. Oh, yeah. If he can, he's making a buck. I mean, his store is getting known. He's making a buck out of the museum that he put up in his, you know, on the second floor. Yep. Well, so, you know, hey, make money, I guess it's a small town. Yeah. And then I also linked a YouTube art, um, a YouTube video clip um from a few this is from a few years ago and it's hauntings in piedmont episode five it's a news story um from the local news station where they interviewed richard miller and basically oh. he says everything Same that thing. we kind of covered over uh it's kind of his mo he's like come to my store you can buy stuff but hey we have a haunted museum and you might see a ghost of a little girl that's uh, yeah, so I've seen that so I'm many places. Mentioning it that, it makes sense. So you gotta make money somehow, right. and this is pretty morbid, and people love morbid things. So right there, you go. I'm mentioning that because it might give bias one way or another. Yeah, but it's important to know that it is kind of being marketed and used in this way. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So that's because it really reminds me of uh, we used to, when, one episode I did haunted what, restaurants and uh -huh. like upstairs he this guy made it into a museum of the brothel that it was once. Remember? Right. Yeah. I'm yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. 
it's just so weird. But I get it. Again, it's a historical thing. But yeah, you got to do what you got to do, right? Right. Make that buck. Okay. So now we're going to do what I do at the end of each one of these little things. Before we dive into movie time, we're going to talk about Brandy Miller and Jeremy Leonard. <laughs> Who are they? Well, heavy Brandy smoker Miller, and crazy guy. Sorry. <laughs> both heavy smokers. But they, these two are the life of the party, man. Yeah. Let me tell you, they well, win. Well, they made it very, I guess, quote unquote, entertaining because y- you love it or you hate it, right? Yeah. This, this is the divisive team for me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to get into it, but let's talk about who they are. Do it. Okay. Originally from Detroit, Michigan, Brandy Miller, a.k.a. Brandy Marie, is currently living in Taylor, Michigan. According to the psychic expert, her maternal ancestors have had psychic talents for generations, and her daughter is similarly capable. Using her abilities, Brandy tries to connect people with their deceased loved ones. For over nine years, she's been traveling across the country to uncover the history of different places and hopefully find the truth behind missing persons cases, which I think is very admirable. Mm-hmm. And I was incredibly impressed with her ability. Like she was tuned in and mm-hmm. finding things out. She felt a lo- she's very sensitive. Yes. She she was very dead on and accurate, mm-hmm. which We'll get into in a little bit when we get into movie time. I found a paranormal investigator who did a whole big article about this whole series. Really? So, yeah. So okay. I'm going to dive into Sweet. that when I get there. Okay. And and her kind of thoughts about how accurate Brandy is. But Interesting. You know, we are seeing a small percentage of their overall investigation. Right. So who knows how much inaccuracies were edited out. And you never know. You never yeah, know. Netflix. You never know. But I found her to be really compelling. I actually like Brandy. I thought she was really cool. Um, some of Brandy's stories have been featured in Daily Mail TV, travel channels, etc. In addition, she is a member of the Detroit Paranormal Expedition, DPX. Presently, oh, we're going to switch to Jeremy. Okay. <laughs> Presently, Jeremy works as a professional firefighter. What? Right. He's a firefighter. Did he? He he mentioned that in the show. No, no, no. He was a firefighter in the show. He mentioned it in the show. Okay. Right? I don't know if I'd want him to help, but uh, that's cool. Okay. Right? Okay. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Presently, well, I mean, we live live in California. We're used to a certain kind of firefighter that fights wildfires because we have a lot of wildfires. Insane fires. So our firefighters tend to be more physically fit because the demand is there oh, for them man. to You've have to gotta go up to the hills. You got to climb things, climb hills, hike mountains. Yeah. You, know, you have to be and wear a heavy suit the whole time. Like, yeah. It's insane. So, I mean, he's in a different okay. area I'm in glad Louisiana. So, you know, is he mentally capable of it? So <laughs> <laughs> sorry. So he works as a that firefighter me, guys. in Louisiana's, and I'm not going to say this right because it's Louisiana. Tangapahoa. Do, do you it. know it? No. Okay. I was very impressed with that. <laughs> I just guessed. Tangapahoa Parish. He has been active in the field of paranormal investigation for over 14 years and has a decade long experience as a demonologist. Apart from being an ordained minister, Jeremy is the author of The Dwelling, A Dark Entity. Hey, do you know how you can become a 
Or date a minister. <laughs> Online. Online. <laughs> you can't. And then he's got a cute picture oh, of his little dog. I don't like him, but I like I his know, dog. His little <laughs> dog is super cute. His dog is really cute. Yeah. It's, his little dog is Lily. The reality TV star helped establish Cajun Ministry and is the co-host of Travel Channel's Ghost of Morgan City, based in Ponchatoula. Yeah, that's what I I think said. that's right. Ponchatoula, Louisiana. Jeremy has been married since October 24th, 2015, and has a stepdaughter named Brie Porter. Portier? Portier. Portier. Not just that. He has an adorable dog named Lily. Yeah, She's very cute. cute. We wish Brandy, Jeremy, and their loved ones the best for the future. And that is it for the history of Madison Dry Goods. And the yeah, b- background of them. Okay. And the background of them and where they are now. Okay. <laughs> Any thoughts before we move into movie no, time? I want to I dive in. She's ready. I'm so ready for this. Okay. But, okay, but yeah, but last thing. So when I looked up all the, like, I, I, there is, like, there's got to be another family where he left the son alive. And this was like a long time ago. There, but uh, you know what? I When I did the search, it was like, huh. John List, John List, John List, John List. I was like, no, he killed everybody. No, and he then, left a daughter. His, his The oldest daughter moved out, right? Oh. Uh, it wasn't his daughter. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah, his, yeah. But yeah, I guess that's true. Uh, Murdoch, Mur- the Murdoch murders that just happened. That oh. was all huge in there too. Yeah. And I couldn't find anything. So if you listeners know, maybe there's a, another infamous murder out there back a long time ago, not like anything recent where the dad went crazy and murdered everybody except the son and intentionally sent them out. Cause I know this sounds familiar and I don't think it's this family, but okay. let us know. You can email us at the stitch at gmail.com. You can also find all of our research that we did for this and any of the other 20 days haunted or any other podcast episode that we've done. Yeah. You can jump over to podbean.com. That's where we are. That's where we are. The ominous stitch podcast. And you can see any of our show notes, look at all the cool pictures and enjoy any past episodes that you may have missed or you just want to revisit again because they are that awesome. (laughs) There's also a little button you can click on that says become a patron Mm -hmm. and you can join our little mighty patron force. We love our patrons. We send you guys stuff. We do meet and greets. We make uh, special episodes for you guys. Um, and we just love our community. So we love that you guys love us back and support us. So we want to hear from you. Drop us a line in any of our socials. Please. Email us and patron. Yeah, okay. that's all of the things. <laughs> all right. Is it movie time? It's movie time. Yay. Okay. As always, I give a brief summary of what this specific team did during 28 Days Haunted, because as we know, it jumps around from team to team. Mm -hmm. So we just get a little streamlined thing. I will have to say that this team was probably the most entertaining team. Yeah. Yeah. But the least factual (laughs) evidence based. (laughs) We'll get into there. But before this comes from thecinemaholic.com again. So this is the background information. In Madison, self-described demonologist Jeremy Leonard and fifth-generation psychic medium Brandy Marie Miller arrive in Madison, blindfolded with no knowledge of the loss and crime or building. They are not allowed access to the internet during the course of the month-long experiment, so they have no resources for research, except what they find in 
the museum. <laughs> Gee. I don't know if any of the articles are still there. We do know that a picture is there. We do know that the caskets are there. I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt that the producers removed things before, you know, to give them any kind of hint what happened. Yeah. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. Okay. Because you say you, you trust Brandy, so I'll trust I Brandy. I do. And I think she's good. But, you know, it's hard to say because, again, we are seeing just a small amount. Yes. So anyway, but we'll, we'll go back to giving the synopsis here. Even before entering the property, Brandy was apparently able to see the vision of a woman with giggling children on the stairs with a large amount of blood. Ugh. Yeah. Upon entering, the duo came across a family portrait, which resembled the people from Brandy's vision. Upon exploring the house, Brandy and Jeremy came across a room with a coffin, indicating the property's history as a funeral home. Terrified of the implications, the investigators nevertheless decided to find out as much as possible. Jeremy, <laughs> God, I hate this part. Jeremy proposed <laughs> putting Brandy in a coffin That's right. and staging her last rites to attract the spirits. Why? Why? That doesn't make any sense. I'm sorry. Don't be That's provoking. like a little kid thing. It's so provoking. Yeah. It's so there are other ways to do it. Okay. <sighs> During the process, she felt as if multiple entities surrounded her and then felt a malevolent presence. Shortly afterward, Brandy established a connection with the spirit of the eldest daughter who kept referring to a baby. Slowly but surely, she picked together the story of the daughter's pregnancy and how the father figure seemed to have killed the family. The psychic then decided to establish a connection with the mother spirit. While conversing with said entity, a malicious presence seemed to try to enter the area and interrupt the process. The spirit seemed provoked by Jeremy's prayers, <laughs> which helped to keep it away. <laughs> During this process, Brandy felt like a paranormal being was physically harming her. She wanted to quit as she did not want to bring any malevolent energy home and endanger herself. She explained to Jeremy how she could not sleep in the bedrooms because the paranormal energy was relatively high. Ultimately, the pair decided to sleep on the ground floor, which seemed to have helped Brandy. Do you remember them pushing all their yep. mattresses downstairs? Yeah. The pair then connected with the father figure spirit, who they discovered was called Charlie. Soon, the group concluded that the eldest daughter may have been pregnant by her own father's child. The discovery of the same may have prompted the man to kill his family. Realizing that his prayers provoked the harmful spirit, Jeremy started antagonizing Charlie, boo, mm -hmm. which appeared to end in a pressurized showdown. Did you not hear about the guy who stabbed himself in the Velisca Axe House? Uh, <laughs> right? <laughs> Jeremy. Oh. Okay. Following this, the demonologist's behavior changed drastically. Good acting? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Jeremy kept complaining of headaches, seemed to lose his passion for the job, and even started picking up fights with Brandy. Afraid of what this might mean, she decided to break the external communication rule and approach the producers of the show to guide her. 
The showmakers helped Brandy connect with a reputed paranormal expert who was quite knowledgeable about the, about the history of Madison Dry Goods. Now, according to the Den of Geeks article that I read, they let everybody halfway through speak to a historian about their that. sites. Yeah. They only showed Brandy doing this. Yeah. But according to Den of Geeks, Aaron Sager said that everybody had that opportunity. That would have been nice halfway to through. show that to everybody. Right. Because then that would have made more sense. Like, oh, you getting, getting all their things verified. And yeah. Confirmed, right. Boo. Yeah. So anyway, they decided to make this a deal with with this. OK. Yeah. It was then revealed that a man named Charlie Lawson had killed his whole family at the property. No, not at the property. They mm-hmm. he killed them at Germantown. That's where he was. They were embalmed. right? And they yeah. were trucked in 20 yeah. miles to be embalmed there. Yeah. And I always wonder, I'm like, if it was a funeral home for a certain amount of years, it had its share of energy. So yeah. why this particular family that wouldn't has no ties to this area? Say, wouldn't you think that house would be more haunted than this place? Yeah. Because that's where the murders happened? Yeah. Right? So why aren't they at the house? Yeah. Because this is where the museum is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Right? Okay. Right. Skeptic pants yeah. getting pulled up big time. I have really big, wide, baggy ones. <laughs> okay. Oh, goodness. So he also seemed to have shown a drastic change in demeanor in the months before the murders. We're talking about Charlie Lawson. Eerily, Charlie seemed to have exhibited the same behavior patterns as Jeremy. Ooh, they're mirroring each other. Brandy decided to sit down with Jeremy and explain her theory that she believed a demon was haunting the house and she was presently trying to and was presently trying to possess him, Mm -hmm. meaning Jeremy. She said the same spirit may have overtaken Charlie and led him down the criminal path. Which I out of all the theories. I wouldn't disclaim that one. Right. It could have been a demonic presence. That, because. And that he did some kind of ritualistic things with the bodies because they were all found with right. their arms crossed with and the rocks. Rock on the head. Under, yeah. So, I mean, yes, maybe. It's the same one that possessed John List. Yeah. Because <laughs> he did the same thing. Yeah, he covered all yeah. their faces, right? Yeah. So, I don't know. But he, at least he went on and lived his life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a little creep. Okay. Oh, my gosh. Shocked by the revelation, Jeremy decided to confront the spirits using a magnet-based headgear, which I love this, the god helmet, which would amplify his psychic powers. This resulted in a showdown between the harmful entity and him. But he was a, he was not psychic, right? No, he's not psychic. But the theory behind this helmet is that it... I, I, I'm probably going to get this wrong because I'm trying to remember from the show and I watched it a long time ago, but... Um, it, it does something with the, the magnets kind of rewire the energy so that he can speak more directly with the entity and they can kind of be on the same wavelength. I don't know. Cool. Something like that. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Take your word for it, Angela. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it looked cool. It did look cool. <laughs> it looked very high tech. I started laughing when he pulled that out. I was like, <laughs> what is that thing? Oh, man. I love it that they call it the God helmet. The God too. helmet. I know. Oh, so this resulted in a showdown between the harmful entity and him with the latter suddenly feeling physically ill. Jeremy was in rush to the nearest hospital by the producers, and it was discovered that he exhibited signs of the early stages of a heart attack. Didn't quite have a heart attack, but 
I'm thinking it was maybe a panic stress, attack. Yeah. <laughs> stress induced attack. Yeah, that makes sense. Surprisingly, the doctors apparently couldn't pinpoint the reason. Oh, gee. Oh, no. <laughs> Why are you so stressed out? It couldn't be that you've been stuck in this place, small, yep, non-house. Not sleeping, really. Confined space. It, they, it's not a house. It doesn't have a kitchen. No. You know, they had to have all their food brought in. Yeah. N- not proper bedrooms. I mean, no, they were sleeping on saying. the floor. You're sleeping on the ground on a mattress. They're up all night yep. trying to get some sleep during the day. They're stuck in this small space. They can't reach out to their families. As we know, he has a small stepdaughter right. and a wife, and he can't communicate with anybody in the outside Gee, world. that wouldn't cause any stress at all. <laughs> and you're constantly talking to ghosts. ghosts. <laughs> so you know anyway yeah coming back into madison dry goods jeremy returned to his original self and thanked brandy for her concern and help the duo again established a connection with charlie and confirmed their theory that the demon had possessed the father using his skills as a demonologist jeremy tried to subdue the being as much as possible to allow the human family a chance to move to the afterlife this was quite dramatic <laughs> Things were flying off Quite. of shelves. He was yelling at, at the demon, get out, be gone, and <laughs> all kinds of stuff. And yep. Yelling prayers, and, and Brandy's like, got her hand out and trying to feel <laughs> where all the energies are, right? Oh, man. After completing their task, he and Brandy felt that they had helped uncover a long-forgotten mystery. What? No, because there's a museum. Sorry. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I don't know what the mystery is other than as to why Charlie did this. Yeah. That's kind of the only mystery. Yeah, I can see that. We know he did it. Yeah, we know he did it. He killed himself. He killed the family. There's a museum there. Yeah. It's all dedicated to him and them. Yeah. So, if you want some further... Uh, opinions about this. Okay. There's a podcast. Woo woo. So Jennifer Davis and Kristen Jackson um, have a podcast called Haunted or Hoax. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it was pretty cool. So I listened to it Mm -hmm. um, and they explore their doubts about this investigation. Ah, I think they probably do all three of them, but I I only discovered it when I was doing this one. Yeah. So uh, give them a listen, Haunted or Hoax. You can find them on Apple Podcasts. I'm sure they're everywhere. everywhere. But Jennifer Davis and Kristen Jackson, Haunted or Hoax. They make a point about how they didn't use much equipment. Yeah. Right? But they yeah. leaned heavily on unquantifiable, which is psychic abilities sure. and psychic evidence. Brandy and the demonologist. Brandy. Uh, yeah. Jeremy just ran around and yelled. <laughs> <laughs> he's found and, Bible verses and provoked and, and she kept saying stuff he's like you can't stop me from j- keep let me keep going on yeah. my Bible verses and he sh- he kept provoking whatever was there yeah which I mean nobody wants to be provoked no. even if you're evil or, or non-evil or yeah. you don't want to be provoked Mm-mm. and Brandy would be like dude that's too much and he would just press harder and yep. go more so that's annoying he, I found him very insufferable yeah the worst thing and what killed this whole <laughs> show for me was the very last look. Oh, gosh. The it very last so look. so over it the was top. so dumb. Don't do that, Netflix. Uh, you're trying to get people to believe this, and you're trying to get them to go along with this, and then you throw in some stupid, cheesy look that makes it just like it threw out the whole thing. I was so mad. Yeah. 
that's what ruined it. Yeah. I mean, when I, I discovered this after Nicole had already watched some of it and she'd already turned herself off. She's like, it's too cheesy. It's pretty, it's pretty bad. And I'm like, like, no, it's great. I'm like, you know, I haven't seen Netflix do something like this in a long time. I think it's really cool. I'm going to watch them investigate. Yeah. It's sensationalized. Got it. Whatever. But you know, it's still pretty cool. These are compelling stories, whatever. I'm going to watch the whole thing. Right. And I was into it. I was, even when it got super cheesy, I was still into it, even when things were writing see you on the wall and like, did he do it or did the ghost do it or whatever? (laughs) That episode. I was still into it when they were finding the the little newspaper article and the little basement thing. (laughs) I was still into it. Covered up. I was like, okay, they're getting touched. Things are happening. I'm still right with it. Yep. Until that very last scene when Jeremy looked at the camera and I'm like, dude, you're an idiot. Why are you not possessed? I was like, that just ruined the whole thing for me. (laughs) Why would you do that, Netflix? Uh, You made it worse. Okay, so if our opinions about this aren't hitting well with you, let's get a paranormal investigator's opinion on 28 Days Haunted. Okay? Yes. So this is the whole article. So um, before I dive into the article, I'm going to give you a little background on Alex Matsuo. She is the paranormal investigator that wrote this article that I pulled. So Alex Matsuo is a paranormal researcher, social media influencer, and author. She is the founder of the Association of Paranormal Study and runs the Spooky Stuff um, which is a really fun website. I've That's where I found all of this stuff. So the spooky stuff. Uh, if it's weird, spooky, unusual, scary, macabre, or haunted, she wants to write and talk about it. Currently, she has over uh, 120,000 followers on TikTok. Wow. Woohoo. Good number. Alex, what are your secrets? <laughs> Be on it more. Get there. I know. That's Instead true. Of me looking at it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Stop scrolling TikTok. Yeah, post things. <laughs> Alex was recently seen on the third season of Haunted Hospitals in episode 12 titled It Followed Me Home. Mm. The episode can be seen on Discovery Plus. She has also been seen on Travel Channel's Most Terrifying Places in America. In addition, she is the host of the podcast The Spooky Stuff. Alex has written several books about the paranormal, including One Bed Over, A Hospital Haunting, The Brave Mortal's Guide to Ghost Haunting, Mm. The Haunting of the 10th Avenue Theater, more Than Ghosts, A Guide to Working Residential Cases in the Paranormal Field, and The Haunted Actor. Ooh. Her upcoming book, The Hamptonville Hauntings, will be released September 2022. That's fun. Yay. Okay, so this is this is her article okay. about the whole series. Yay, I want to hear. And she goes into a lot of detail, which I think are really good points. They don't really necessarily have much to do with... Um, the paranormal research side of it. But I mean, like it's good points from production value. Sure. But I thought this was really interesting because she actually knows some of these researchers and she's friends with them. Well, that's nice. So yeah. So some of them are, I guess, actual researchers and (laughs) do things. So (laughs) they do, they do things. So this is, they're, they're not just on TV. Yeah. So this is Alex talking as a paranormal researcher and investigator or even Ghost Hunter, I'm not the biggest fan of paranormal reality television. It is unrealistic, and it's become stagnant in the past 10 years with the same people on TV and nearly identical formatting that's been replicated all over the media. So when I found out about 28 Days Haunted, I wanted to give it a chance, especially since I've interacted with a few of the cast members previously. Mm -hmm. Initial thoughts on Ed and Lorraine Warren. 
I didn't expect Ed and Lorraine Warren to be part of the show. In full transparency, I've read all of their books as well as any books approved by them because I loved the Warrens growing up. My opinion has since become more complicated, which I'll share another time. Hmm. Also, I've known and worked with the people who know or worked with the Warrens. That's cool. I've never heard of this theory coming from oh, them. Oh, no. <laughs> Even from my colleagues who worked ah. with them. But that's not to say that the Warrens didn't come up with it. I would love to see a primary source confirming this. I've actually heard of the theory from multiple people over the last few years who have claimed it as their own. Oh, nice. I also can't find anything before 2022 to trace this theory back to the Warrens. Again, if anyone has it, please let me know. Okay, that kind of makes me feel more validated <laughs> because I, I, I'm definitely a big fan of Ed and Lorraine Warren but never heard of it never heard yeah. of it and then she I mean like if they if she knew a bunch of people that worked with the Warrens and and they never heard of it yeah I mean the one thing that leads validity to it is that their son-in-law is yeah. attached to this but I mean I don't know if he made it up to be on TV. I, May, I mean, I, I have a feeling that w at one point they, they mentioned very, very briefly something about, oh, yeah, 28 days of being here, like something happened. Right. But then but Netflix makes a huge deal about it really being do. 28 days. Yeah. yeah. So Alex goes on to say, one of my friends did mention that maybe it came from the Amityville exactly, horror. Yeah. This is due to the Lutz family being in the Amityville house for 28 days. Exactly. I could see that. But again, at the time of writing this, there's nothing on paper or video pre-2022 that ties the Warrens as the creator of this theory. Huh. Also, there are quite a few gaps with this theory that the show didn't address. Does the 28 days theory apply to only a certain type of haunting? What about the dynamic of the group? Mm -hmm. Could the 28 days take even less depending on the people in the group? Does this include knowing the history of the location and the haunting or going in blind? Mm -hmm. I have so many questions. Yes. Finally, I found the alignment with the Warrens to be a risky move for the show. Lately, the Warrens are coming under fire as of late for alleged fraud. Yep. As well as predatory behaviors, including the story of Ed Warren and Judith Penny. Mm. Granted, when the show was in production, these issues didn't quite have the spotlight as they do now. Mm. And then she goes on to make a little note about paranormal reality TV to just kind of pull back the blinders on it because she has been on paranormal TV. So she really knows the production side of it and can sure. see it okay, good. better than us people that yeah. don't really know. Exactly. Before diving into my first reactions, I wanted to say that paranormal reality television is a genre of its own. It's not reality in most cases. It's dramatized. It's yes. staged. And sometimes it's even scripted. I would align most paranormal reality shows as found footage. <laughs> Some shows do more or less of that than others. But keep in mind that these shows have to tell a story to keep their audiences interested. This is a result from the research on the side of the production companies. While most of us on the, in the paranormal community want something different, we're not the target audience of these shows. I can't watch these shows as a serious paranormal researcher, but I can watch it as someone looking to be entertained. Yeah. I also doubt that we will get a TV show that's more representative of real-life paranormal investigation because it's pretty boring 90% of the time. <laughs> you're just sitting there feel that. asking questions yeah. in a dark room. Yeah, and you're moving around Giving slowly. space. Waiting for responses. Yeah. yeah. Is anybody here with me? What is your name? <laughs> <laughs> right? It's it's pretty. Mm -hmm. 
These shows are for entertainment purposes only, even if their audiences take them as reality. That's the nature of the beast. I I 100% agree with her. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And then she goes on to leave a note about her bias. So I'll read that real quick. Um, Because I want to expose my bias right now, I have had conversations with a few of the cast members and we're connected on social media. Dare I say that I even consider them friends. Mm. With this in mind, know that I will support my friends. It is possible to be critical and still support your friends. (laughs) It is. It is. Also, from my own experience of being on TV, I know how little control cast members typically have over the editing and presentation of their television shows they're on. Sure. Well, unless you're Zach Bagans uh, <laughs> or <bleh>. Jason Hawes. <laughs> sorry. I bleh. love no, that she sorry. calls them out. That's so yeah. funny. Most of my notes are about the production side. Mm-hmm. If there are certain things that the cast members did that I liked or didn't like, I'm looking at it through how the producers edited it and presented it to us. The situations we saw on screen may have been completely different from real life. Oh, yeah. As the audience, we were presented with an altered version of the events. I know this and sympathize with the cast on yeah. this. See, because remember I was saying, like, they have to, in this Netflix series, they, they have a theme for that episode. And they're going to take apart everything and then piece it back together to make it look like that all happened at once. Oh, yeah. And, you know, the long dramatic pauses, they're not from that exactly. moment. Yeah. <laughs> it's often when you're looking at somebody and nobody's saying anything, it's them while somebody else is talking. Right. And that's why you get no it. reaction from yeah. it. Yeah. It's so funny. Mm. It's like, I'm like, that's not a long pause. So often when I see that happening, I'm looking to see if I can see somebody else's mouth move or how oh, they're smart. reacting. Yeah. That's a good I'm like, way to do that. Yeah. I know that it's not a long pause. Yeah. On that note, after watching the six 30 to 40 minute episodes, my initial reaction was that I didn't hate it. Mm-hmm. I found the format of the show refreshing as it is different from the other mainstream ghost hunting shows you would find on networks like the Travel Channel, mm-hmm. Discovery, Sci-Fi, A&E, etc. I like the visuals when they introduce the equipment, even if the descriptions weren't always accurate. <laughs> it was evident that the producers were trying to do something different with 28 Days Haunted since it didn't necessarily follow the same formula as the other shows. Sure. Were there moments of cringe? Yes. Definitely. Yes. <laughs> so many. It was not the fault of the cast. That was on the editing and on the producers. Yeah, good job. Okay. And then she goes on to talk about how there's a lack of gender representation, which I think is a good point. Mm, there's, there's two women. That's true. Out of, out of the three teams. Yeah. So there should, and also it's only male and female genders that are represented. True. And there's a spectrum of genders that yes. are available, especially in the paranormal research. Oh, yes community yeah and so she found that to be quite upsetting i can see that also it was also very um male dominating and the females were kind of put on the burner a lot and i again though i feel like they did that on purpose in a way yeah producers did that and the females were yes and the females were also the sensitives or the psychics they didn't have any females in tech that's true yeah what is that What's up with that? What's (laughs) What's up up with that? that? (laughs) Ooh, wee. (laughs) Yeah. She said that there's also an all-male team, and they didn't balance it out with an all-female team. And so 
Yeah. It's you're right. Her points are very I I like her points about that and about how uh, and then she brings up the whole thing at the Lumber Baron Inn about how the men were ganging up on Amy Mm -hmm. and how the show represented that. And when I listened to their interview after that, they were like, that was completely misconstrued because it was a five minute conversation that was resolved really quickly. And they were friends after that. They See? were just like, well, why don't you want a mirror scry? And she's like, because that, didn't that feel comfortable. doesn't feel comfortable to yeah. me. And, you know, I don't ask but you guys to do that things out. that are that are comfortable. And they're like, oh, OK, they good point. The whole then what do you want to do? Yeah. You know, it was really like quick. So oh, it's so frustrating. Yeah. Producers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where's that? They're, they're all white, too. Yes, <laughs> she talks about that. I just realized <laughs> about like, how everyone's white presenting, and, yes. and we don't have any people no of color, color, which is very frustrating because there are many people of color. You sitting next to me, my friend, <laughs> who love the paranormal. Yes, and true. They love you know love this world and they want to be part of it. So that is fun. I never even really thought about that, but you notice that in all. A lot of, almost all of them, actually, now I'm thinking about it, all the paranormal shows. And white TV, men with the female men. psychic. Yeah. Or with, like, one female, and you, and she's treated like she's the one that's, like, ah, like, overactive and, yeah, like, stereotype. Or they use, or they use her as bait. Yes. Or she is a psychic. Yeah. Um, but they, they don't use female. her, like, yeah, the female is not there to, um, do any of the hard evidence like do any of the yeah there you know it's sad it's really sad it's and that weird. needs to change and i love alex for bringing all of this up yeah good um, job she talks I about think about it thank you how the women are treated and she brings up brandy and amy because those are the two women and she right. talks about how jeremy kept pushing uh brandy to do things that she was uncomfortable with like brandy lay down in the coffin and and then look what happened to him he was all like i'm gonna do this macho thing and then look what happened yeah it was yeah it was sad so she goes on to say it was clear when brandy and amy were carrying the weight of their respective investigations especially brandy when she was going in with the spirit communication Mm -hmm. and jeremy's main contribution was to walk around sprinkling holy water (laughs) (laughs) and instead of supporting brandy when things got intense jeremy continued to provoke the spirits true that yeah so, Alex, you are right on with this. I love it. Mm-hmm. And then she goes on to talk about lack of di- diversity. Yes, so okay. I'll read this whole thing here. Okay. There was a gross lack of ethnic diversity in the in the case. Every cast member was white presenting. Personally, I find that unacceptable given how diverse the paranormal community is. This was a huge miss on the production company and even Netflix. And that's all I'm going to say about that. Ah. There was also no representation in different religions. Yes. I think that this is very important. That is true. We yeah. need everything. Yeah. This was evident with the Christian uh-huh. approach to investigating. The pentagram. Right. Yeah, I remember I put that out. I was like. Well, yeah. And she, you know, she brings that up in here, too, oh, about oh. how they brought up. And I like yeah, her. So, yes, I know. <laughs> That's why I pulled this article. Because I knew excited. you'd love it. Okay. So. It's an old and outdated approach in paranormal television that won't go away. But if the main demographic of these shows are white Christian people, then perhaps I shouldn't be surprised. The assumption that if a spirit doesn't like biblical scripture, it must mean it's evil was evident. (laughs) Not everyone is a fan of the Christian church Mm -hmm. and they're not demons. Mm -hmm. Very important point. Yep. I agree. Not everybody is Christian. Nope. And if you aren't Christian and you respond neg- negatively to Christian um, 
aspects that are coming out, whether it's prayers that are being read or ideas about um, about pentagrams or about pagan things. You know? <laughs> yep. Oh, it's so frustrating. It is frustrating. It's very frustrating. Also, it's uh, she goes on to say, also, it's 2022. Can we start having a more diverse cast? Yes. Pandering to an audience that only wants to see white Christian men is only going to work against the networks eventually. The beautiful thing about this paranormal community is that there is diversity. Mm -hmm. Some of the most interesting things to come out of paranormal experiences and research is the diversity. If you don't have a team with diverse backgrounds, you're likely doomed to only see the paranormal through a particular lens that may or may not be correct. But there was a note of neutrality in regards to the, she said Connecticut, it's the Colorado team. No, this is the Connecticut team. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Let <laughs> me read that again. But there was a note of neutrality in regards to the Connecticut team consisting of Nick Simmons, Sean Astin, and Aaron Thompson. I found a bit more balance. When Nick dug up the pentagram from the ground, I actually thought it was a sheriff's badge or even a Christmas ornament. Yes. But I did appreciate Nick clarifying that the pentagram isn't yeah, evil, barely. but that mainstream Christian mindset painted it as so. Those are beautiful moments that have me love the show. Yeah, he did that really quick, though, because then they still they still they they touched up on that that that's the possibility but then they still the show made it seem like it was the negative thing right and i hated that but at least they kept that little bit in there <sighs> yeah i guess you know yeah. it's annoying tiny silver lining but sure. you know so this is another thing that i thought was really interesting the othering of spirits so there was a strong sense of othering the spirits while uh, othering the spirits with one of the teams, meaning they weren't being treated as humans. Instead, they were treated like demonic entities yep. or trapped spirits yep. who were absolutely miserable. Yep. The spirits were presented as something to be terrified of. What I never understood with investigators on TV is that they run when the activity starts picking up. <laughs> you're there to investigate <laughs> and you're getting a nope. response. That's prime time to stay. Exactly. Because of this, I feel like there were a lot of missed opportunities. Nick Simmons from the Connecticut team did call this out in one of the episodes, which I appreciated. Huh. And then she was upset with the liberal use of provocation, yeah, which is well, mainly Jeremy. That was all Jeremy. Yeah. Dun, I'm dun. not a big fan of provoking, no. nor do I like using trauma to elicit a response no. out of spirits so when jeremy and brandy took this approach in the first episode That's of right. 28 days haunted i was surprised that they were surprised that they would have a negative reaction <laughs> oh, <gee. laughs> i did appreciate the colorado and connecticut teams having a bit more compassion for the spirits given the awful history of the lawson family i would have expected more compassion to come from brandy and jeremy in the beginning instead of exploiting the family's trauma seriously i i thought that was uh beautiful yeah. she's also frustrated that all the predictions were perfect <laughs> they were <laughs> right 100%. on all the psychics run hmm. yeah so we have our thoughts on that you know because there were evidence of research that was left in certain yeah. areas and so again like you said these are our professional paranormal researchers right mm-hmm. they probably already knew about these places even like they're blindfolded taking these places they take the blindfold off oh this is where we are you know but they don't say that but you know. right right could, could not be you never know And then she goes on to say that there's not enough content. I do find it weird that even though each team spent 28 days at their respective location, which would total about 672 hours per team, we didn't get a lot of content. Combine the hours of the three teams, that means they were there for 2,016 hours. And yet we only got six 30 to 40 minute episodes. Mm -hmm. So maybe four hours of content total 
If my math is right, this means we saw less than 2% of no. the footage from all the investigations. Oh, that's crazy math. Right? So, I don't know. Maybe they didn't get enough activity or they just really edited a lot of things out, right? I think right? it was heavily edited. Yeah. She also says that there's a strong bias when everybody was going into these places. Something else I noticed in the first episode was that there was a huge bias towards, yes, this place is haunted. <laughs> That's right. Right? There well, wasn't. Well, I mean, you, you got it. That, that was the whole premise, though. Right. So we know there's something there. Yeah. She says there wasn't any. Let's investigate and see if we can figure out whether or not this place <laughs> is haunted. Perhaps the stage happened and the show chose to skip it, which is a very real possibility. The show moves pretty fast. It does. Speaking of bias, I did see a few comments about the lack of historians on the team. But you can. To be fair, there was a historian working somewhere. Otherwise, we wouldn't have been given the information yeah. on the locations. And also, Brandy did speak to a historian about the lost yeah, murders. Yeah, we, we shouldn't have had that, though, because that was the whole surprise of the show. Yeah, can they uncover what happened yeah. based on communicating with the spirits? Exactly. That was part of the premise. Yeah. yeah. So I thought that was, like, really interesting mm -hmm. um and she goes on to say that after all of these criticisms i mentioned i may be surprised it may be surprising to hear me say that i liked the show what? ultimately i had several favorite moments in the show what? these are the moments that i think made the show stronger than the mainstream shows on other networks and it gives me some hope that something different may be coming down the pipeline of mainstream tv so she did see a fresh approach to paranormal shows she saw people that haven't been on a lot mm. of television so new okay. faces in the paranormal community coming up sure so you weren't like oh it's zach beggins and you know what his whole thing is you know right, they right, weren't right, right. the normal usual suspects that you see okay which is exciting um and a couple of moments that she liked that the producers did leave in um, one of them was Amy calling out the culture of toxic masculinity on the paranormal when Shane and Ray were trying to get her to do mirror scrying. They left that in there and she just went to town on that. Mm. So that's nice and refreshing that they didn't edit that out, that they no, left they that in. they made that even bigger, though. <laughs> they, made it, they made it a bigger issue yeah. than what it was, but they still didn't make her take the meek backseat. They yeah. let her have a strong moment True. there. So that's nice. And she also likes that the locations were different. We weren't at, and I, I had to leave this part in here because of the places. Uh -oh. We weren't at the usual locations like Waverly Hills <laughs> or Trans-Allegheny, yeah. right? Yep. It was nice to see different locations. True. And, um, well, because if they were taking them, they would have known where they were again. Right. And then you couldn't really do much with that. Right, so. right. And one thing that I found interesting, and I haven't found this blog yet, but she is familiar with Madison Dry Goods, and she's going to write a blog on that. Interesting. But I didn't find that blog Maybe yet. Maybe it's still waiting in the works. Yeah, she lived in North Carolina for eight and a half oh, years. Oh, wow. So okay. She knows. But, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Again, I mean, I think it's it's a matter of do you like these shows or not. I used to watch Ghost what was it ghost adventures or whatever uh-huh taps right a long long time ago when yeah it was i like love taps when taps was my out. favorite mm -hmm. yeah and but it, it is following the tropes that you're saying here but i don't watch them anymore i can't get behind them just like this when i and i was like okay well i'll watch it for you angela for research <laughs> for research but i can't get behind them because she hit on a lot but it's just the whole fact that it's so overproduced i don't know if it's real or not it, again it is for entertainment purposes only mm-hmm it's hard to believe. So. Yeah. So 
obviously you watch these with your skeptic pants on yeah. a lot of editing happens a lot of reproduction happens you watch it for entertainment value i like to watch these because i like to get that little bit of history and it's fun to see if like ooh, they captured something cool and then you know you get to make it up on your own like is it real or is it not real it's kind of like watching a magic show right you know it's like, <laughs> where's the ooh, trick illusion. <laughs> yeah you're like, do you want to believe in magic? Do you believe in magic? <laughs> or are you looking for the strings? Right. Yeah. See, this is why I, I gear towards if it's a reality show. I love those shows where it's the people talking about their real life past experiences. Yes. And then they good. reenact them. You're like, yeah, those are actors, obviously. But they're they're reenacting exactly what they're saying in their story. And I think that's. Yeah, those ones are really creepy. I right? love those. Those are really yeah, good. I love it's like those. That, and you can feel it and you can see it. And again, you never know, though. Again, they might be actors. You, ha you have no idea. But it's that's that's where I get that entertainment value from. Yeah. So. I don't know. If you like 28 Days Haunted, let us know. Yeah. Email us at theominousstitch at gmail.com or drop a line on any of our socials or, you know, check out all of our research that we've done. I thought this episode was going to be short, but it is long. It is so we should probably end it. Yeah. yeah. That was great. <laughs> no, I like that you ended with this because that was really eye opening. Um, and refreshing to see her perspective of all of the of the show. Yeah. And I agree with a lot. I don't agree with liking the show. <laughs> <laughs> well, Nicole and I are split. Yeah. I begrudgingly like the show despite <laughs> its faults. <laughs> I was entertained. Good. I definitely was because I, I watched the whole thing in one sitting. So. Yeah, I know. That was amazing. Good job. Thank you. I know. I never sit that long and I was just like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> You're glued. Yep. All right. So I guess that's it. We've reached the end of 28 Days Haunted. Oh, that was a long one, guys. Thank you for sticking it out with us. Yes. And until next time, we'll see you, Stitchers. Oh.